This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Talking about death isn't easy and some of us are better at it than others. But there's more to talking about death than just the song that you might want played at your funeral. What about all of the practical, everyday stuff? Your co-host today, Nick Healy, joining you from ABC Shepparton. Nick, today's program came to us from a listener whose partner suddenly died and she discovered, in a time of grief, of course, that there were many practical things that she didn't know. Now, this made her already terrible time worse. Things like passwords, banking details, bills. And if you're the person, as she says, and we'll hear from her in just a moment, if you're the person in a relationship that says, oh, no, Nick, he deals with all that stuff... One day, and at some point, you might have to be the person that deals with all of that stuff. So do we need to talk about it? We absolutely need to talk about it. Isn't it funny that the one constant of the human condition, the universal experience we're all guaranteed to have at some moment, is the great taboo that none of us ever want to broach a topic. You know, if I say to you, you know, Rochelle, are you ready to die? I sound like a Bond villain, not like someone actually trying to start a conversation. And yet there are conversations we're supposed to be having. You don't leave it to the last minute. That societal taboo has created these incredible social barriers to us getting information that should be easily accessible, not just in terms of what a partner wants or the information a partner has, but what are you allowed to do at yeah. a funeral? How can you be buried or, or not buried? Or what are your options? You know, because we don't have a framework for having these discussions, this often ends up being even more stressful than it needs to be. And it, it's something that can interfere with a natural grieving process as well, having these Absolutely. additional stresses in place. Isn't it? Here and we are. That's it. And there would be different circumstances. So like our first guest that we're going to hear from, there may be a sudden death of a partner or somebody Mm. close to you. But then there may be, like in my instance, when I knew my mum was going to die and she knew she was going to die, but we'd never spoken about what she wanted. I didn't know whether she had any, you know, debt or superannuation. And we had to, we literally sat on her bed in palliative care. And she said to me, look, Here's my superannuation account. Here's the details you need to know. Um, I've got this bank and that bank. And then I had to say to her, well, how do you want to be buried? She said, I don't want to be buried. No <laughs> way. And I was like, really? And then I said, well, what about your funeral? And she said, I don't want a funeral. I want a party. I said, mom, we can't have a party. Nana and pa would hate that. She's like, I don't care. This is my life and my death and I'm having a party. So had Nick I not spoken to her about that, I probably would have booked the church and gone on and had this thing that was completely against everything she wanted. And it would have just been natural. I think that happens so often because not everyone gets that opportunity to sit down in palliative care and have those conversations. Death can be incredibly sudden, as you said. And when that occurs, we're all left flat-footed. There are just things that practical elements that can make it easier if only we could open up about it. one three hundred triple two seven seven four. 774 Should we be talking more about how to prepare for death? How do those conversations help others? And maybe these are conversations that you've already had. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy with you in ABC. Shepparton. And we're doing what many people don't do, Nick, and we're talking about (laughs) death today. We are definitely talking about death. And in fact, on the line, I believe we've got Gabrielle. Gabrielle, we do. And a huge thank you to you because today's conversation all started because you sent us an email around the fact that your partner died suddenly and then you were left with all of these questions, all of these things that you couldn't figure out and it's all happening at a time of absolute grief. So a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. Thank you, Rochelle. Uh, I have to say in my defence, I did I did try sometimes to say, Philip, we're going to have to sit down and go through all this together because what if something happened to you? And he'd laugh and say, don't be silly, Gabriel, I'll outlast you by decades. <laughs> um, so, so I did I did make an attempt, a feeble attempt a couple of times. 
It, it, but uh, it's a hard thing to get into, isn't it? Well, it wasn't that. It was just I think he was he was in his prime. We were living the dream, you know, retired couple with uh, everything secure. We divvied up the jobs as couples do, and um, and you know the future just looked like a dream. So. So what did you find difficult afterwards, Gabriel? Like what would have made it easier for you? What would you, what do you now in hindsight wish you had spoken about? Well, I I wish because we had all our finances um, direct debited. We had a credit card with about $25,000 on it for that we used and paid off at the end of every month. So everything looked easy. But I didn't have any passwords. Now, I'm sure somewhere still there's a folder where he would have had them because he was scrupulously well organised. But um, my first surprise was when I went to the bank um, <clears throat> to get a, to retrieve a, a security box of stuff, titles and things. And while I was there, the man said, do you have a credit card? And I said, yes. And he took it. He reached across the table and took it. Um, and said, you know, you can't use this. And I said, but it's got my name on it. It's my credit card. And he said, yes, but you're not the account holder. And he took it, slid it across the desk with his index finger and said, you can't use this. And if you try, you can be charged with fraud. So I won't tell you which bank, but I I had very bad fantasies about what I'd like to do with them. <laughs> um, so that there went my $25,000 to deal with things in, in the immediate future, um, that was gone. I couldn't access, we had money invested, we were very comfortable. I couldn't access any of the money that we had invested until I had a death certificate. And because his death was sudden and unexpected, that was likely to take six to eight weeks. Mm. Um, so I, I just felt powerless. and. With all the, the telcos and energy companies and all the people, bodies that you have to deal with, the big one, and I think this was the biggest one, was that you can't talk to anybody. And for months I got up and sat here at the kitchen table with my laptop, my phone, a pad and a pen and a box of tissues and just tried to, to get to speak to somebody to explain what I needed and you can't. It's press one, press two, press four. Um, and there's no option to say, look, my husband's died and I'm in a pickle here and I don't know what to do. There's Gabrielle, no I, I can barely imagine what you were going mm. through, grieving that way and having to navigate that bureaucracy in, in such a, um, I mean, a difficult way. And I've got to admit, I'm a little shocked by that banking story. I mean, I, this cannot oh. be an uncommon situation for, for institutions like that and for you to have been treated... In a manner that sounds very rude, to be honest, I'm really quite shocked. Oh, I was shocked. I was absolutely stunned. And I said to him, well, what what, what am I supposed to do? And he didn't answer. He just looked at me across the desk and didn't answer. So, um, I mean, if you've, got a, if you've got a joint bank account, which we did not have, um, that's fine. You can still access that if your partner dies. But a joint, a credit card... Uh, I didn't know that they froze that immediately. And on top of it, you're going through all of this when you're grieving. So your brain is not clear and it's not working to the best mm. of its ability. I mean, I can remember walking outside to deal with a lot of this stuff with for my mum and wondering why, you know, th my shoes felt so uncomfortable only to discover I wasn't wearing any shoes and I got halfway down the street. You know, so you, you start, you're doing crazy things in times of grief just finally gabrielle do you think we need to get better at having these conversations around death around okay by the way i have life insurance or i don't have life insurance or here's where my will is kept all of those things that would just make that process a little bit easier for us oh absolutely look i've been nagging all my friends for years so look find out sit down have the conversation you know write it all down have have access to everything but it's amazing how reluctant people are they say oh you know 
Bruce deals with all that. I'm hopeless. And it's not always the woman. You know, often it's the woman who does all the finances and she's, oh, you know, if X had to deal with that, he'd be hopeless. So there's a rel <laughs> enormous reluctance, I think, to to sit down and, and deal with it, share it, find out. Because it seems a bit heartless. You know, it what if you die? It, it, it does feel heartless, doesn't it? And Gabrielle, thank you so much for sharing that story. And I love the fact you've become a bit of an evangelist for these continuing yeah. conversations because it is incredibly hard to do. But the more we, Rochelle, kind of say, hey, have you had this conversation? Do you know what a partner, a loved one, a family member, even a close friend wants? The more we normalise it, the less we're going to see situations like this, I hope. Yeah, this text that says, uh, my husband and I have had a document that lays out our lives in terms of defining the details of any organisation we're involved with, utilities, banking, investments, our house, any organisation we belong to, e.g. the pharmacy, the library, voluntary stuff. <laughs> it's for each of us and we give each a copy and we've given a backup to the executors of our estate. It's to tidy up our lives and important to make sure that both people are listed as contacts on utility companies. Companies as well. That's from Sarah, who's in Bacchus Marsh, who sounds very, very organised. Well done. Rosemary's in Sorrento. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Michelle. I'm really pleased we're having this conversation. Um, yeah, my uh, brother, who was 56, uh, died uh, 18 months ago, and I was his next of kin. He, um, he hadn't married or had children. And um, just prior to him, dying about two weeks I, I said to him well what do you want to do for your funeral and it was really took a lot of courage to ask him and um and yeah he said that he wanted a big funeral at Newman and and everything um you know because he was a lawyer and he'd studied there all his life and and that he wanted to have a um you know party at you know the cricket ground afterwards at Melbourne Uni so and it wasn't what I'd expected so yeah, it was really great to have had that conversation and I, I made myself do it, yeah, really put myself out there to ask him because it wasn't easy. It's not easy, but imagine a situation where you hadn't and therefore, you know, that send-off was nothing like what he would have wanted. And, and you know, it, it's kind of, I think, and I might be stretching it here, but I think it's kind of beautiful to be able to help family members plan out what they're going to do when, when you die. I think it's important to be, I guess, involved mm -hmm. in it in that stage. Yeah, and I totally agree, and I and I just think that we need to get a lot better in having conversations about and death, and and particularly after someone has has you know died to ask that relative or friend, how you know how are you going? I'm you know I'm sorry to hear about Tim, who was my brother, but to use their name, and I just don't think we in Australia we're we're great. <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree, and Rosemary, I don't know about you, but after I had that really uncomfortable conversation with my mum we both felt so much better afterwards like we felt lighter and I think you know we cried obviously cried and we mm. laughed and all sorts of things but afterwards we both went oh, we did it yeah. we, we had it we had that chat I know well, Tim and I were at the Clyde in Carlton and you know we had a few, had a few drinks and um, <laughs> he said oh you know I, I want this and I want that and and um you know, I, I would have would never have forgiven myself. I'd been through a, a you know, a car accident, someone had died, so I'd had that experience ten years ago. So I, I sort of I guess I was pre prepared for what I needed to do. But yeah, it was really nice and he was he was just very thankful. There was no awkwardness about it at all. It was like, Oh yeah, well this is what I want, you know, da da so I think um yeah, we need to talk about it a lot more than we do. Rosemary, yeah. thank you. It's such yeah, it's such a good point, Nick, isn't it? And I wonder how much it helps with the grieving process as it, well. It, it does a huge amount because we are always caught flat-footed. Something Rosemary said just uh, really pinged me. Even in the wake of death, we often don't have the language to express our condolences. You know, um, I lost my mum quite young and so I tiptoed around. I felt like there was almost a guilt attached when people would say, I'm sorry about what happened. No one kind of wanted to say, sorry, your mum died. It was always, that was a bad thing. Sorry, that happened. And I felt like because no one would open up about it, it was almost something 
something to be ashamed of. Wow. Uh, and we do get that kind of ingrained in us. You know, even the act of saying sorry, you know, as I got older, I kept saying, oh, why did you kill her? Why are you sorry? <laughs> um, you know, you end up with this dark humour side of it because it's an odd thing to say. You know, I'm well, sorry. Well, we don't know what else to, to say. But we don't. Why don't we have the language? I have it's something no we all go through. I, but is it just our culture? I mean, other cultures surely are better at this than us and maybe but remember there was just recently this wonderful series of cards that were released by a, a melbourne woman a victorian woman and the cards said things like you know they were just open and honest and they said things like i'm sorry i haven't been in touch since your cancer diagnosis but i really didn't know what to say and i just felt like a fool Amazing. I hadn't heard about that, but what a perfect way to go yes. about that. To acknowledge the insecurity we feel yeah. about not, not having the adequate words and then shoving it to the side and just having that conversation after all. How incredible. I love it. Owning it. Faye's in Druin. Good morning, Faye. Well, sorry, I've got something in my mouth. Hang on. I've listened to you having a cup of coffee. Um, well, you've got to have a snack while you're having a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I am so happy that you are talking about this because I am in a very hard place. My husband died suddenly in January. Now, I, I knew what he, you know, we wanted and, uh, for the funeral and everything. That wasn't a problem. But it's dealing with all the companies. Mm. I've had every single bank you know, like my husband had superannuation um, and shares and um, a rental property. And I've had to deal with everybody, you know, and, you, and if another person says to me, sorry for your laugh, I'll, you know, I'll just scream back at them and they'll be as obscenities. You know, um, because you know they don't mean it, they just like say it. Yeah, and like but stop because saying people... it and then turn around and say, "Oh well, we can't discuss this with you. We have to speak to your husband." Well, how many times do I have to tell you that he's dead? Yeah, and, and then, I... um, nine months later, when I thought I'd sorted out about you know uh, with one bank about because they were all um, in both names, I get this letter to say that they wanted. They, now, they knew he was dead because they'd said so in the letter, but they wanted to close all the accounts. And when I mm. rang them up, they turned around and said, oh, that's just a letter we send out, and then we'll send in. Why? Yeah, all that correspondence afterwards, I mean, it just brings the grief back up. But it feels like already early on, Nick, it feels like there needs to be some training within our banks. Oh, banks and other institutions as well. You know, what it's made me think of is having changed states recently. Think of everyone you need to know or let know that you've changed address and then imagine doing that for the death of a, a loved one and then imagining every organisation that you have to communicate that to and whether they've got the processes in to understand. I mean, if, if you struggle letting someone know that you now live at a different residence, imagine it, if, it ha if you haven't had to go through it, what it's like to have to do that for someone who, who's died. Rochelle Hunter, Nick Healy with you. Marley Verio is a Wilson estate lawyer at Nest Legal. Marley... I mean, do any of us really know what to do when somebody dies and knows the amount of admin, quite frankly, that's involved in death? Yeah, Rochelle, there is so much admin involved. And gosh, it broke my heart listening to Faye just then talk about what she's had to go through because dealing with financial institutions is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, I think there's this common misconception that you feel like you need to just jump into action straight away. Um, but in reality, there's not an awful lot you can do with the deceased estates until you have a, an official death certificate. Now, that was interesting to me because that official death certificate, uh, hearing that story of it being sort of five to six weeks from Gabrielle when it's such an essential document, I mean, I, I, how do you even get started with the things you need to do, Marley? Yeah, I mean, look, there's lots of things you can do straight away while you are waiting for that certificate to come through because it can take three to six weeks longer if there's coronial inquiries. But mm. things like insuring property and mail redirection, um, contacting employers and other professionals like the deceased lawyers and financial planners and accountants, and also starting to make an itemised list of any assets and liabilities of that deceased person as well is, is really helpful. 
What about social, the world of social media? Now, that may sound really light, okay? But when we're talking about Facebook pages and people making comments on Facebook pages maybe years down the track, when we're talking about Google searches, our digital footprint is a part of who we are now. I can't even, I don't even know my Twitter login. <laughs> you know? So important. So what do we do there? Absolutely. Yeah, so, look, as you said, all of us are leaving some kind of digital footprint. Um, The best thing to do is just leave clear instructions where you can. Clear is kind, but also being clear and organised because, you know, if you've got a password manager account, um, it doesn't sound like you've got one, Rochelle, but um, (laughs) somewhere to keep all of your uh, your logins um, sorted is a great thing. Something like LastPass or SecureSafe, um, really, really helpful, but... If you don't have something like that, things like Gmail, so you can nominate an inactive account manager through your Google account, add their email address through there, so and give them basically as much or as little access to your Google account that you'd like. Marlene, we'll get back to you in a second because I think we'll take a call from Vaughan who's in Preston. Vaughan, you've actually started making these lists. You've started putting this all together, uh, getting ready for, for well, the inevitable. Yes, that's right. Um, I've, I've done this for a while. It was partly based on the sort of example of my mother, who was, when she died at 93, she was very, she'd always been fairly organised and kept lists of, you know, all the accounts and details. I've done the same thing, but I've got it in a, a Dropbox folder, which my brother can share, because I'm a single single man. And um, I've, so that's that's one one aspect that I think is really important, so that it, you know, in the case it's in a, like an in case of emergency type mm. list of who to contact and all my various you know, account and other outgoing details and things. The other thing that I wanted to I thought would be useful to mention, I've also in the pro, just in the process of doing them during power of attorney um, and um, and a medical decision maker form, which I've been putting off for ages and ages, and I finally sort of got to doing that in, actually in the midst of it at the moment. Um, there's another thing called an advanced care directive, which um, also gives indications in the case of um, being in a situation where if I'm not able to, you know, if I'm towards end of end of life and not able to make decisions, it actually indicates my wishes as to how I would like to be, you know, whether I want to be kept alive or or otherwise. Um, that can be a really useful thing too. I mean, it's, I know it's just it's it's to do with the before death experience, but it's it's all around yeah. that whole uh, process. There is a, a, that can be rather daunting to do, but there is a really useful website that's uh, managed by Barwon Health called MyValues.org. I think it is, and that helps you go through it. Ask you, you can ask it asks a series of questions, and you can rate it on a scale. And it, on the basis of that, it actually draws up a, a so oh, basically wow. fills out a large part of the form for you. It's very it's highly recommended. I heard it talked about I think on radio at some stage some years ago and I've used that in order to do that. And um, so that's yeah just a bit of useful advice maybe for people. Mm. Vaughan, it's interesting to me that we often hear from people who say, oh, look, after my experience, after this happened with, you know, a loved one, that's when I started doing it. Uh, We don't Mm. seem to want to go hunting down that information until we've been on the wrong end of it. And as you said, that that information can be out there. Not always easy to find, but it's great to see the rise of those online repositories where we can, you know, get that little helping hand for what can be a really just straight up daunting procedure. Absolutely, because, you know, it's something I've, I've felt like I should do, but I kept putting it off and thinking, oh, yeah, I'll deal with that. And I'd start doing it and think, oh, it's getting too hard. And when I found, when I found this My Values website, it was a really, um, it was a really great help and an impetus, gave me great impetus in, um, completing the process. And, uh, so I've, I've since done that. My doctor has a copy of that and, um, and my and I've given the copies to friend, my, my my brother and a friend who would be acting as um, decision makers and friends, so wow. uh, and, and executives. So yeah, really useful. Those sorts of resources are really useful. And also, the Office of the Public Advocate has a lot of good information. And I think you've just too. helped so many people just <laughs> now, Vaughan, by passing those details on as well. Thank you so much for calling, Marley. I've lost track of the amount of texts that are come in that are saying everything from my mum has an A5 folder, which is indexed. It includes 
<laughs> it includes everything from the wills to the bank accounts, the super, Medicare, pensions, etc. the details of their funeral, songs, where to have it and whatnot. And actually, that's just opened a vault in my mind there is that I think my nana and pa almost had a laminated folder, a folder of, of what they wanted as well. Is that common? Because there's lots of people talking about how they actually have got this organised and written down and, and put somewhere safe. It's becoming more and more common, which I love to hear things like that because I think often um, it's just so important to just have that all in one place, have the conversation. Like you were saying earlier, it's a difficult conversation, but it's so important to have with your loved ones so that they know where all of that is if something happens to you, um, not even just in death, but in incapacity. Like like Vaughan was saying, those enduring powers of attorney, medical decisions, what your values are um, towards the end of your life, it just... It's becoming more common, which is awesome. Molly, I love that it's becoming more common. Um, it's just funny how much of a stumbling block it can remain. I, I know Carolyn Castlemaine mentioning the Groundswell Project as a great repository of how to start these conversations. Um, I, I remember reading about the Groundswell Project many, many years ago, which is what kind of got me really fascinated about this idea of death literacy and the fact we're not talking about death. And yet... And yet, Marley, it was still only three years ago that I did a will for the first time, yeah. despite having thought about this for many, many years before, because somewhere in my head, I thought a will was only about what was going to happen to personal possessions, not what it meant for end of life in terms of the processes mm. and the understanding other people could take away. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I say if you're an adult and you have a job and you've got superannuation, you should have a will. Um, it doesn't have to be just because you've purchased a property or had a baby. They do seem to be some pretty major triggers for people to get wills done. But even if you've got some super, you want to make sure that that ends up where you want it as well. Really good advice. Marley, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. Marley Vario, she's a Wilson Estates lawyer at Nest Legal. And even the terminology that we use is, is being raised here a lot, Nick. This says, my mum passed two months ago. Suddenly everyone says, I'm sorry. It's the worst. They totally mean well and the fact that I'm used to them saying it. Uh, but it wasn't until somebody actually said, I heard your mum passed. What was that like? It was so lovely. It was so refreshing. I wanted to talk about her. Now that's will be the takeaway and the respond how I deal with other people. Tiptoeing around death is awful. It's so nice when people ask about the person. Interestingly, though, within that, this text is anonymous. It's, it uses the word past. And we've had a mm. few other people saying, thank God you're using the word died instead of past. So there's even the term that we use for the actual word of dying. We're we, so embarrassed by the fact we might lost. die on some weird level. We get so lost around it. You know, again, going back to, to when I was a kid, I remember people came around for tea and rather jokingly, I picked up the teapot and said, shall I play mother? And that was after mum had died. I was mortified for just, and like, I felt like I'd done something wrong because we can't talk about it. And uh, we just get ourselves caught up. We get ourselves caught up saying, sorry, past, they've gone. Someone died, and, and it's often treated a bit like an emergency as well. You've heard that someone is grieving and you think, well, I need to work out how to fix it. We don't need to fix this. We need to converse and listen and speak. It's not a practical solution issue. And I, I love the fact that, you know, the text has said, you know, when someone finally said, how was that? What was that like for you? That must have been difficult. Inviting a response, not yeah. trying to close it down by just saying, I'm sorry, that's when it makes a difference. And even using people's names, you know, makes such oh. a big difference. Absolutely. This is something I know you want to talk about a little later. It says, can we talk about the lack of awareness and affordability of environmentally friendly burial options in Australia? Human composting centres. And that's something I know, Nick, that you know a little bit about, which we'll get into a little later. But should we be talking about death more and have you had those conversations? This is the Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne, Nick Healy with you in Shepparton. And we're doing what many of us don't today, Nick. <laughs> we're talking about death. Can we quickly talk about human composting? Oh, please, 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 because I'm fascinated by oh, it. I don't know anything about it. This is your gig. 
It's what's really interesting to me is because you, you say to people, what can you have done, uh, you know, with your remains, with your body after you're dead? And you tend to think, well, I can be buried or I can be cremated. Uh, there are other options. It's just incredibly difficult to find that information. Something that's grown up in the last few years, especially overseas, but a little bit around Australia as well, is the idea of being composted. Now, for many people, it's seen as a very environmentally friendly way to go. Um, you are literally popped in a box and allowed to compost for several weeks until all that is left is pretty much soil and from there you can be spread out um uh, put on a garden literally you know regrow things and it's funny I, so many questions so many questions um uh, there is a, a farmer who's doing a natural funeral services or or working on getting something up and running not far from me in nathalia um and yes it is all about that composting movement and there's many ideas that sort of you know you can't do that certain things only can happen to a body but i really love the idea I mean, you know, when you cremate, it, it's not very carbon friendly. A lot of carbon goes in the atmosphere when you create someone. Um, you know, obviously so much money goes into a standard burial. I really, for me personally, love the idea of someone being able to walk past a farm or a paddock or a patch of garden and say, well, that's what's left of Nick. I See think those potatoes? That, that's Nick. Yes. Yes. Those hot chips that you're eating right now, that's a little bit of Nick. There yeah. is so, and it, well, there is another program, my friend, into alternative funerals. But let's have a chat with John. He's in Eltham. Good morning, John. Good morning. Uh, the thing that I found very interesting when both my parents passed away was that I never ever got the opportunity to mourn them because immediately they passed away, I had to then go into the burial process, yes. organising all that and all that sort of crap, and then when that was done with, and the wake, etc., etc., then I had to get back to taking care of my family. And it was only around about 10 years later that someone said something, it was actually my wife, then all of a sudden I just broke out and screamed and heap. And it was quite amazing. Um, it was, um, yeah. That is uh, such that an interesting quite- point, John. I think you are bang on there because... Mm. It all happens really quickly, don't uh, you know? You're sort of depending on your circumstances, but you might be take if your parents are in aged care or in palliative care, you might be all of a sudden you're sort of taken into a room and you're on the phone with the funeral director and you're getting asked all these questions and you've got forms and then you've got all this stuff to deal with and it's so overwhelming and it's like a full time job d- dealing with all yeah. of that stuff. I've got a second point. Can I raise? Yes. Or is that? When I, my father passed away first and we had him up in the cupboard and then he, he had his ashes up there and then eventually my mother passed and then I came upon the idea and my brother and sister loved it. We actually recremated my father's ashes by putting him in with my mother's coffin and then we create, recremated, then we cremated my mother and so both their ashes are now combined oh. in the one and yeah, that was um, I, uh, just a wonderful thing that my brother and I uh, and my sister came up with. And eventually we put them in a lake, uh, which was their favourite place where they used to go. We used to all go for a walk and uh, just turned them out into the lake. Now, I'm sorry I say it like that. But Don't no apologise. <laughs> and as such, there is no record officially of where they're buried. So because I do a lot of genealogy... I've actually put that on billion dollar graves and also on finder graves. And I've actually put on there exactly where these people are located. So it will be there for other generations who follow me to say, this is where my mother and father are now buried. John, that's just beautiful. I love that. And, you know, again, that process, those ceremonies, those celebrations of someone, um, they are about the person who's died. They're also about us, and we need to find something that works um, uh, to their wishes, but something that's going to be meaningful to us as well. And I, I think that's a beautiful way of doing it. And the fact that you then recognise that grief coming in 10 years later, because grief can hit you at any time and any moment. And thank goodness, even though it was a decade later that you got to have that moment of grief. But Nick, the other thing is that people think with cremation and scattering ashes, because I thought this as well, is that it's going to be this picturesque, idyllic... (laughs) It's not like that, right? And I don't want... It's not all complete Big Lebowski, it all goes pear-shaped. But the ashes are given to you in a really hard ceramic type mm-hmm. box, right? So you can't just scatter those ashes because it's a tiny little thing at the top. You, 
like you either plonk a big box into the ocean, like you know people think I'm going to scatter over the ocean, or you have to somehow remove those ashes, right? Now this is a very non-glamorous, confronting thing to have to do, but the idea of you're just able to scatter away willy-nilly doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Um, and it's interesting, you know, given everything we've talked about, that you find it confronting. These are, you know, it's a very natural well, thing. Well, my mum's ashes ended up on my my auntie's <laughs> dining table. <laughs> We're wiping it up with the chucks. And I'm like, that's I my mum. Laugh. I'm sorry. It is. And but we look, did you know, laugh. I absolutely, I cried with laughter so much because I'm like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever done in my life. You have to. You have to have a laugh about that. And, you know, what we just heard before, that grieving process, it is unique to everyone. Everyone will have their own journey through grief, but they can be derailed really easily. And one of the easiest way to derail it is for you to have to go through all of those practicalities and not actually spend time on the emotional side. And it costs money as well. And that's the other thing that surprises people, especially if you don't have a lot of money and then you have to deal with funerals and burials and all sorts of things. Warren Day is the Chief Operating Officer at ASIC. And Warren, when it comes to understanding the conversations around death and what funerals cost, do do people realise the the money associated with somebody else's death? Um, Thanks, Rochelle. I've been listening into this conversation and I thought I'd come along in a very sombre conversation, so I'm I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) We're trying to make it a positive, celebratory conversation. Um, Look, to answer your question, the answer is it depends. It depends if people have had, you know, been close or been involved with, you know, another person who's died and they suddenly become aware. But outside of that, the majority of people, when, you know, you become an adult and, you know, let's say one of your parents die, you know, you've always been shielded by that by your own parents and suddenly you're confronted by the cost of a of a funeral and a burial ahead of time. And I think some people aren't ready for that and are quite shocked at the cost. Quite shocked at the cost, but also even how to go through that procedure of getting everything happening. I mean, it's not something that you think, oh, well, I'll just go to Yellow Pages and get it all sorted. I mean, it's really quite a complex situation. It is. And look, you know, back on the cost, I mean, it can vary greatly from, you know, we understand from about $4,000 for a basic cremation and I was interested, Nick, in you talking about composting. I didn't believe that would be part of the conversation, but I was interested in that. <laughs> Anything can so happen I don't know what the cost of that. I don't, I don't have any details about the cost of that um, and even where you'd start with that. But it can even go for a more elaborate burial. You know, we understand that the cost can be around about $15,000. So, I mean, that's a lot. You know, that's a lot. And so, you know, there are um, insurance providers now who will, you know, cover those costs. So that's something people can pre-plan and think about. Um, but in terms of picking a funeral provider, you know, it's well worth, dare I say it, shopping around. Yeah. Um, the other thing is in the industry, there's lots of funeral companies, but in fact, a lot of them now are owned by the same or similar parent companies. Mm. So when comparing quotes, you really need to understand whether or not they're actually part of the same group um, or not, because most likely, you know, they'll, they'll have pretty standard costs across the the different funeral companies within their group. So that's something to look out for. And is that something as individuals we should be doing the homework for so that loved ones don't have to? Because, again, in times of grief, you're not going to want to have that conversation multiple times over. You're just going to go with the first one that you run your finger down in the the yellow pages. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, ask around. I mean, if you're in that situation, do ask around because the short point is, much like you've been discussing, we all go through this and, you know, we'll all know someone who's lost you know, and there I go using that word, but, you know, had someone die in their family, um, you know, in your you know, in your extended network of friends in your community and ask them who they went with, you know, what did it cost, those types of things. One of the things I'm aware of is, if you, unlike, you know, what your own income is, if you say to someone, what did that funeral cost for your mum, people will love to tell you because they really? probably can't believe how much it costs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because they can't believe how much it costs. Everyone loves comparing it. So... This is actually one question in terms of finances where, you know, certainly my experience is people will tell you if you ask, you've just got to ask. So, you know, as you say, Rochelle, rather than running your finger down the yellow pages, you know, there is, um, you know, a good idea and actually, you know, tapping your community, tapping your friends and family and saying, well, what did you do and who did you go with and what did it cost? Warren, we occasionally hear stories about concerns within that funeral industry that people are um, getting the right deal, uh, aren't being taken for a bit of a ride during an incredibly vulnerable time. I mean, how how confident can we be that we're being told 
the right information and being charged the right amount? I, 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 that's a really good question, Nick. I, I mean, this is why I'm saying, you know, you have to you have to look around at this. I mean, I think, um, uh, you know, state um, consumer protection organisations and even the ACCC have looked at this from time to time in terms of what the pricing structures are. But again, it's one of those things where you have to shop around and you have to sort of compare those costs to get an idea. So, you know, the other arrangement, though, is probably back on what you were saying before is, you know, this is the type of thing people now are planning for and working it out so they don't leave it, you know, to their family on the point they pass away. Now, that's in the situation where, you know, they they can get ready. I mean, often, you know, death happens unexpectedly, so people can't prepare. But, you know, again, a lot of people are preparing that so that they are taking that effort of looking around and, yeah. and seeing what's on offer. And just finally, Warren, is there a good website or a checklist or a form that you can direct people to we've heard from barwin health already it's a really good um website that people have been speaking about but just those checks and balances and the things that we potentially need to consider if we are going to make our you know a5 folder like someone's mom has already done where would you yep. direct people I would start with our own website, moneysmart.gov.au, um, and if it doesn't pop up on the first page, just go to the search part and type in "losing your partner," uh, and you search "losing your partner," and we've got you know a checklist there of the type of providers and, and documents you might want to go through and check are you know needed to be looked at in relation to the person who's died. Um, you'll also see some details there of a. Um, a government service called deathnotification.gov.au. Believe it or not, there's a website called deathnotification.gov.au and you can use that to notify multiple um, federal agencies at the same time ah. that someone has died. So oh, that's, that's a good. bit of a shortcut for people as well. So if you go to the moneysmart.gov.au site, search losing your partner, you'll see our checklist um, and walk through some of those issues about preparing um, you know, for that, you know, in terms of funeral arrangements, um, things such as, you know, the next financial steps, those things. Can I just point out one other thing, just while I've got a chance? Mm. We're talking about at the point of death, and there's a lot of people who think, oh, well, I've got an enduring power attorney, so if mum dies, I'm fine, or, you know, my partner dies, I'm fine. Enduring powers of attorney actually stop at the point of death. So you might have been able to operate on bank accounts or other things in the meantime with, if, while the person might be infirmed or, you know, quite sick. At the point the person dies, that enduring power of attorney stops. And so I think that's a really important for people to know. And so what it means is some people, you know, will have a secondary credit card for their family, you know, for, for the person who, you know, who's unfortunately died. The bank will shut those accounts down mm. straight away. That's what makes it so, so tricky. It is. So, so the point is people need to have a sort of a, you know, if you like a rainy day account that they can access themselves, you know, while wills are worked out, those types of things are worked out. Warren, thanks so much for that. Warren Day from ASIC. And uh, Richard, what struck me then is even Warren said, believe it or not, you know, there is a website to let people know when someone's died. It's believe it or not because this information is something we have to go hunting for yep. rather than being able to have the conversations we're talking about and share that information on. And the fact that it can go out to multiple agencies at once because oh. like when this... The reason that today's show is uh, uh, on is because of Gabriel, who contacted yeah. us, who spent weeks on the phone calling agency after agency, press one, press two, hold, to be able to do all of that simultaneously. Lots of questions around composting. People want another show, Nick, so I think there is another <laughs> show on alternative burials. But this text, just to lighten the mood a little bit from Katie in Clunes when we were talking about cremation and scattering of ashes, it says, keep your mouth closed when sprinkling the ashes. With the change of the wind, my nana ended up in my mouth. She is now a part of me forever. Okay. <laughs> Certainly yeah. going to lighten the mood, isn't it's it? It's going to lighten the mood. Before we have a speak, uh, a chat to Leah, our GP, let's have a quick chat to Erica and Paran. Hi, Erica. Hi, how are you? Good. What did you want to say? Um, well, this is this. You mentioned just before that um, it's good to have a, a laugh about times when you actually are in grief. And um, my husband died of cancer, and. Um, he wouldn't be drawn on, you know, what he wanted to do with his body mm. or anything like that. So anyway, I just decided that he'd be crem cremated. So two girlfriends and I, Caroline and Jenny, went to the Melbourne Cemetery because we discovered that you could bury um, ashes 
under trees there. So we chose a tree for him. And while we were there, I decided I'll go under the, because there were four um, plots to a tree. Um, I would order my bit as well under the tree. And Jenny, my friend, <laughs> piped up and asked, oh, well, are there any other, <laughs> I'm, Jenny's Jewish, I am too, but, but, you know, are there any going in the Jewish area? And um, she was told, actually, um, yeah, there is. is two plots. So she, <laughs> she booked herself in as well. And so she's not too far from the tree. And when I got home, I told my mum and I said, you know, there's two spots left because Paul and I have got, you know, spots for our ashes. So she booked herself in and my father. <laughs> I so, love that. And, you know, and then you're with family and you're with friends and there's nothing like just multitasking. We're all busy and you managed to get it all done, Erica, in that one time. But again, it's probably just because you were there and then it's the first time, Nick, that you're thinking about it. It is the first time you think about it, although, you know, in fairness, not in Erica's case. So she said her husband wouldn't be drawn in on these conversations. And, you know, you can't force people to to, to do that, obviously. And I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that, Erica, and think that must have made things very difficult. But the more we normalise these conversations, the less taboo and shame people are going to feel about having them. Dr. Leah Kaminsky is a GP and she's the author of We Are All Going to Die. So that is a very straightforward <laughs> title there, Leah. And there is a lot of dancing around the fact, isn't there? But today has been so refreshing. We physically cannot keep up with the texts and the calls of people wanting to talk about it. So that's a good step. Yeah, hi, Rochelle and Nick. Look, I'm thrilled with this conversation and it's really the impetus behind why I wrote the book. It is actually subtitled A Joyful Book About Death. And I cover a lot of these things. In fact, just as an aside, um, one of my nonna patients from several years ago wanted to be buried um, and turned into a tree. So part of the what's called the Capsula Mundi, the organic burial pod, so mm. that her grandchildren, great-grandchildren could swing off her boughs. And I thought that was just so beautiful. But I think you know, we're talking about this is all incredibly important, everyone that's rung in and everything we're talking about. But I think it sort of taps into, you know, traditionally we've draped the Grim Reaper in, in black. And and then sort of the last century, death sort of been buried out of sight and we the living kind of live a sterilised life where death's happening off stage. And I think now there's, there's a growing awareness in, in the Western world of, of having these important conversations before it actually happens. So we're talking about, you know, I think this is a great opportunity for an app designer out there to kind of, you know, <laughs> put an app out there to collate all this information, which would be brilliant. But um, I think these conversations need to be had um, much earlier. You know, we've medicalised death and dying. And, you know, I grew up as a medical student and came out at the other end terrified of death and not able to talk to my patients about a sort of sheep looking around the edges of telling them that they're dying. So part of me, the, my motivation for writing a book on it was really to face my own fears of death and cover a lot of, you know, cover the language of death. We talk mm. about, you know, I'm, I'm dying for a sandwich now because it's lunchtime. In our living language, we, we embed death terms. But when we talk about death, as, as somebody mentioned, you know, you pass away. The best one I've heard is you have a dirt nap. <laughs> I can't say you've died. I even put my book up in my office, We're All Going to Die. And some of, I can see some of my patients looking at it saying, God, really? And I kind of see the, the, the wheels ticking, I'm going to another doctor. <laughs> um, but you're so right, Leah. Like, we have medicalised death. We've become so divorced from what is, um, you know, a fairly natural process uh, mm -hmm. that we do see, you know, we're all going to die as somehow a morbidity, something, you know, uh, distasteful to be talking about. Death used to be something that we had at home we died surrounded yes. by loved ones in our own home in our That's own bed so true my nan would nurse my my well we called her old nana which is probably inappropriate but she was the older nana in our house but we had multiple people die in my grandparents house that wouldn't happen That's anymore leah it's it's not happening that much anymore and i think open an openness to having these difficult conversations about a natural and inevitable event where we are all going to die 
um, is so important because otherwise you're left with this painful vulnerability that so many people are talking about. And and I see it over and over again. This, you know, people who are grieving, even when people that are close to them are dying, not just after they've died, but, you know, the guilt and the shock. I mean, the survivor guilt. Why did he die and I didn't? The numbness, the fear, the anger, um, difficulty with decisions, the grief, facing a new life and how to navigate that. Um, you know, it, it all, it, it's all there. And if I don't face those, you know, bring up those conversations with parents as, as a doctor, I think I'm really, I'm really neglecting a very important aspect of my work. Mm. Well, today's been wonderful to sort of almost gather resources about where we can go and what we can turn to. And your book, let's add that to the list as well. Leah Kaminsky, thanks so much for your time. The title of your book, We Are All Going to Die. Let's end with Paul, who's in East Brighton. Morning, Paul. Good morning. Um, I'd just like to say um, that my partner of 41 years passed away at home with a heart attack. He was only 60. And there's a driveway down the side of the house so that was all filled in with garden the front door goes under the under the garden and um i put his ashes under the magnolia tree so when you come out of the, out the front door i get to say hello to him every oh, morning paul it. that's beautiful is love that something it. you'd spoken about did you know that, that that was something that you wanted to do or you had conversations yeah it was sort of like that he was he was slowly dying because um he had all complications with his heart and he was one of the early survivors or with from AIDS in 1985 wow. and his heart took him eventually and he died at home. And he died at home as well and now under the magnolia tree. Paul, thank under you for... Under the magnolia tree with yeah. the old English sheepdogs he loves so well. He <laughs> used to have English sheepdogs and they're well, all under beautiful. the magnolia tree and that's where I'm going. Oh, Paul, I'm so glad you got to share that story. Thank you so much. Nick Healy, apologies to people whose texts we couldn't read, oh. whose calls we couldn't get to. And just like the conversation I had with my mum that was really uncomfortable at the beginning and how much lighter I felt afterwards, I feel better after today's show. I feel better and I love how many people have been texting or calling to, to talk about their own experiences because, again, we, we only surmount this when we do it as a society and as a group. Coming up, though, we will be looking at alternative funerals, composting, oh. because people are texting in left, right and centre, my friend, wanting to know about how we can compost ourselves into the future. Nick Healy, hand on heart, thank you so much for today's show. I have thoroughly enjoyed it and I've enjoyed that we've been able to go deep and I've enjoyed that we've been able to have a laugh as well. It's meant a lot to me and I'm really glad you were open to having this chat. I think it's incredible. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, keep talking, take care, and I'll speak soon.